another episode of Vivo's Balls. We have a special guest on the show for y'all, but first, as always, I'm your host, Thomas, and joining me is James. James, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest for us? What's going on, guys? Uh, today, I'd like to introduce our third guest. Um, he is the Orange Blood staff writer. Uh, you can read all of his baseball content and breakdowns on orangebloods.com, and you can see his Around the Horns modcast on YouTube, and you can find him on Twitter at Zach at the Dish. Zach Sims, welcome to Vivo's Balls podcast. Hey gents, how y'all doing this evening? Good man, good. We're uh, we're celebrating the sweep, just like you. <laughs> I'm sure you've had a long couple days at the dish, but at least it's a not Sunday night, and you can kind of enjoy your Sunday a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We were talking about that in the press box today. We said, I guess we got to get used to this Thursday through Saturday because a lot of the SEC series play that Thursday through Saturday schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of nice having Sunday off. So I can do whatever I want to. So yeah. Good, good time at the dish this week, though. Yeah. Well, Zach, you know, tell the listeners about yourself and how long have you been a Longhorn fan and how you got to be the staff writer for Orange Bloods. Yeah, so I've been a <clears throat> I've been a Longhorn fan. I grew up in in Austin, uh, raised out in Lake Travis area. I was trying I was trying to remember. I think the first time I ever went to a UT sporting event was back in '96 or '97 when Arizona played UT at the at the Drum in basketball. And uh, it was a crazy game. You know, UT lost, as we always did to Arizona back then. But um, I think that really kicked it off. And then I was looking back, and I think my first baseball game I went to was back in 97. So that would have been uh, Garrido's first year. And, uh, you know, we've my parents or I have had season tickets every every year since then. And uh, just grew, kind, of, uh, kind of grew up at the dish, was a dish rat. And just every, every spring was – was over there because my mom used to be the director of the ER at uh, Brackenridge. And so after school, I just hop over to dish and watch games on Tuesday night. <laughs> so it was good times, man. But uh, yes, as far as Orange Bloods, um, I've been on Orange Bloods. I was, I was looking back at that. I've been on there since 2001 and uh, or 2002 and always followed um, Dustin McComas. And, you know, I've, I'm one of those weird fans where I'm a UT baseball fan first, first, you know, that that's my thing. Um, football's fun, sure, but I'm I'm all about college baseball. And uh, I had talked to Dustin a couple of years ago about helping him out during the season and um, you know writing some articles or whatever. And just got busy with schedules that never happened. But when Dustin left to go to Five Tool, people kept putting my name out there, kept putting my name out there. And finally, Catch reached out and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in this? He's like, I don't even know that you are, but you know do you want to help us out and i jumped on it and yeah absolutely let's let's do it so i guess it just kind of came together <laughs> yeah I've, I've been following some of your stuff you know we're like we try to be a baseball first podcast and then i was at the the oklahoma state game and i just ran into you saw your hat and i'm like yeah. oh, this is a sign <laughs> so naturally just wanted to reach out so we'd like to thank you for coming on here and doing this with us man we know you're a busy guy and especially right now you know postseason baseball is going to be very busy for you but you know i have to ask is getting paid to talk about your favorite sports team literally the greatest job in the world and it's, uh, it's pretty good what are some of your favorite parts of the job yeah no it's definitely pretty good uh, you know it's a lot of time i don't think people realize like how much time uh you spend i i spend a ton of time researching other teams especially putting together previews. Um, I'm kind of a stats nerd, so I'm always looking in and diving into all the stats that I see from uh, from the other teams and from Texas's own team. But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat to get to have that experience because it, you know, the average fan shows up in, you know, on average, like right before the first pitch, rolls in, has a brew, is hanging out with the friends or, you know, hanging out in Occupy left field. And then, uh, you know, at some point they're going to, they're going to bounce whenever they want to, whereas, you know, good or bad, like you're in the press box kind of living and dying each pitch. So it's a, it's a unique experience. Um, like I said, I, I'm a college baseball first guy. So, you know, even when I'm in the press box watching, I usually have my computer or iPad set up and I'm, I'm going through and I'm watching other games and just checking out what's going around the big 12. So it's uh it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, some of the favorite parts about it are, just being there, getting to know the guys. I know a couple of them already, but, uh, you know, getting to know them kind of on a different level, just kind of seeing that day-to-day stuff that they go through, you know, 
they got girlfriends, they got homework, they got schooling, they, you know, they got families and jobs, whatever else. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting aspect to kind of see behind the curtain sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I think the average person who watches doesn't really think about that, that these are kids at the end of the day and they have, yeah. they're going to the top 10 university in the country, <laughs> you know, for an education and they have, you know, families and personal lives and girls. And, you know, I know I get on Twitter a lot and you, whenever guys are slumping or, you know, having a hard time they're pretty hypercritical and i always on especially on here i always just try to talk positive and stuff and this our bullpen's made it hard this year to be positive <laughs> all the time but you know we definitely try to yeah it's it's it's, it's funny sometimes because like you said they're 18 to 21 or 22 year old guys and uh you know people don't realize like they're going they're going through the everyday things just, like sometimes the getting to baseball is just to get away from everything else too so mm-hmm. um you know, there's times where, like, last night, you know, Pierce sat and talked to the uh, Travis Daly in the dugout for a good 30 minutes after the game. That's not a fun conversation to have. Like, pe- people don't realize, like, oh, why don't you just throw pitches? Sometimes you just don't have it. You know, it's, it's not that he doesn't want to go out there and throw strikes. You know, he oh, came yeah. to Texas to win. He came to Texas to be part of that tradition. And, um, you know, I'm not saying you just have to be positive all the time. You, there's there's certainly room for criticism. Base running, for example, you know, oh, yeah. I, I joked around Hodo and uh, Todd going to um, couples therapy earlier in the year. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's one of those things that uh, sometimes Campbell too move into that too far into the fandom and and lose sight of what it really is. So yeah, every time I see someone get picked off, I think of the Augie rant, <laughs> and every time. Yeah, that's uh, speaking of some of the good stuff. You know, Ivan Melendez is doing some amazing things this year. Uh, what has it been like covering that? And uh, yeah, like, how, how awesome is that for you to cover? Yeah, no, Melinda, he's a special dude. Um, I mean, I, everyone knew that he could hit, right? It was There was no doubt about that. He had power. He had pop. Um, and it's a natural pop. You know, he doesn't really have to try too hard. He can kind of throw his bat out there and send it over the center field wall. And he's not getting them easy ones, right? He's he's not hitting them to left field or right field. He's hitting a dead center. He's hitting pole. Um, and so... It's been fun because he's such a humble kid. Like he doesn't, it almost feels like he doesn't think he deserves it. Sometimes he's a really hard kid on himself. Like he has an, a bad a, a B, you know, he'll sit there and he'll be like, what, what did I not see? What did I not do right there that I could have? Um, and he's, you know, for as good as he is, I mean, likely golden spikes winner. He's Hopefully. a very humble kid. Like I said, and he's, all he wants to do is pass it, the bat. And they call it passing the bat. He just wants to pass it to the next guy. He wants to get on base to help the next guy get up to bat to get him on base. Um, but special season. I mean, gosh. I've never wire seen wire, man. This wire is the Texas wire. uniform. You know, you think about the, some of the greats, Drew Stubbs, um, you know, Teagard and Rupp going back Seth to the thousands. It's just, you don't see him like this. I mean, they're, he's built differently. Uh, he sees the ball. Um, last year, he really has improved year over year from – he used to chase, kind of like Faltini this year, he used to chase that breaking ball down and outside. He doesn't do that anymore. He's like, fine, you know, pitch out there. I'll just walk, you know, you'll walk me or you'll throw, have to throw one inside eventually, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crank it. So um, a lot of scouts that we've talked to this season have been like, yeah, we knew that he had something going, but now we're coming back around late in the season because we got to see what, like, you don't see a flat line. And then whatever, mm-hmm. what I mean, flat line is like just consistent. Like last year, he got super hot and then dropped off and then started to get hot with CWS. This year, it's just been straight across. And uh, yeah, I think he's probably made himself a couple dollars <laughs> by, by doing so and cutting down that strike ratio. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, as someone who's, you know, watched every single game, you kind of get spoiled by his greatness. It's just, you know, <laughs> seeing these home runs, four home runs a week, three home runs a week. And it's like, you know, yeah, uh, yeah a lot of teams that I'm, sh- I, I think I read somewhere where, uh, just Melendez, Murphy, and Faltini have more home runs than most Big 12 teams put together, and that's just, you know, three guys. It's true. And then, you know, the crazy thing, before the season started, everyone was asking, where's where's the pop? Where's the power? We lost Zubia. We lost Cam Williams. Um, you know, who's going to hit the home runs on this team? And the, the thing I saw tonight that we were looking at the stats is with, if you remove Melendez, 28 home runs, Texas has still almost equal the 2010 record of 81 in a season just from the other guys. So, I mean, it's this whole team from top to bottom is, uh, they're special. So without getting too much into it, cause I want to come back to this, but how much do you credit of that to, to, to I mean, the, even Pierce will tell you like, look, Philip Miller spends a lot of time with these guys. 
Tulo has spent a lot of time with these guys, and he's working. He's working those guys hard. Like, the amount of time these guys are spending in the cages, like, Murphy didn't just happen to get good year over year. Like, he, he was solid last year in a limited spot, but, like, those guys learned from Cam Williams. He used to live in the in the cages, and that's what they've done. They lived in the cages. They worked hard, and that's, you know, Tulo's a, a bit of a rainmaker. So, yeah, he's he's awesome. But kind of going back to Melendez real quick, do you think this trying to break the record will get in in his way to just hit the ball? Like, do you think it'll be like a block or like he's just out there? Okay, I gotta hit a home run. Let me get this one home run out the way so he can free himself up again. I, I think you saw a little bit of that today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, on Thursday and Friday, you really didn't see it as much. Um, from him because he was just going out there and you know having fun on, on friday night after the game he acknowledged he's like yeah he's like now that i've hit the 28th like it's kind of weighing on me like people have, you know that's all they want to talk about that's all they want to hear about is the home run um so honestly and i was hoping like in his first bat he just crank one and get out of the way and just kind of get back to work in i think in the first two at bats you know that's what he was looking to do like you could tell the swings he was taking the pitches he was swinging on he was looking to send one deep. Um, and then that third at bat, when he when he lined it into center field, he was like, all right, like we got to get back to we got to get back to the basics. Like we're we need some runs. We need some production. I'm just going to go up there and hit it for a single. And that's one of the things, you know, you hear Tulo talk about all the time is he doesn't want his guys going up there looking to hit home runs. He wants them going up there to look to line the ball. He wants line drives. He doesn't care where it goes, splayed, you know, pole to pole, but he wants line drives and they just happen into home runs. And that, that's kind of what they do. Like you, like the famous story about the the BP and down in Houston where Tulo was ripping a guy because he hit a home run over the left field wall. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's Tulo. Like he, you're on his program or you're off his program, and you better be on it because that dude has some intensity about him. But um, yeah, I, I was really hoping that Ivan would knock it out because I think now it's going to be it's it's only a matter of time when he breaks the record. But now it's going to be like happenstance instead of something kind of a special moment for him at, at Dishfall. So, mm-hmm. yeah, because I know they kept on the broadcast, they kept coming, cutting over to the cannon with his dad there, ready to go. And it's like, man, that's I don't as like I played sports in high school, there's but there's nowhere near as good as these guys, and yeah. I couldn't handle that. Like I just be like, just kind of just had that pressure on me, just like let me just get one out. It's not like that last one he hit, man. I just wish the wing would have caught it and pushed it out because. Going yeah. into the tournament would have been a whole lot easier with, I think, a lot less on his mind. I think the good news is that the Big 12 tournament's the perfect time for him to break it now because it is not at home, so he's not going to have that kind of pressure pack, like all eyes are on him. You know, he'll be able to sit back and just kind of take pitches like he normally would. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, if he didn't hit it tonight, that's kind of the perfect setup for him. Yeah, 9 a.m. on a Wednesday is kind of like a meh moment to break it. So yeah, but you know, he, no one wants I'm to play sure baseball at 9 a.m. on a on a Wednesday. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. So back to this, the whole team. You know, this whole lineup has been hitting amazingly this year. Um, everyone's kind of stepped up. You know, uh, Eric went out. Campbell came in. Campbell struggled. He stepped up. Skyler came in from transfer, and he he was struggling, but he then he's uh, come up and been really good for the team. Who who do we expect back from next year? Anybody from this lineup? Um, are we gonna have a lot of new faces? Are we learning new people's names every week, every game? Like, how's it gonna be <laughs> look, looking like next year? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, you you look at our roster. Um, Ivan's gone, obviously. Like, there's there's no doubt he'll be a top round. A th- like, he'll probably be round three. He's got age going against him. Um, He's a little little limited in his mobility in terms of, like, position, so he's going to end up at first base no matter what in the pros or DH. Um, you know, Silas has made some some made some made money this year with showing pop. Um, he's gone. Then you look at Stevens, obviously, he's gone. Faltini, he's going to be gone. He's going to be taking – he's showing a lot of that pop. And, you know, like as much as people like to rag on Faltini, the thing about him is he's taking major league – at bats, right? Like he's looking to hit home runs. He's looking to drive for power. That's not necessarily the college game anymore. Um, and people don't kind of realize that. Like he's he's showing to scouts that he can go and move at the next level. 
kind of what David Hamilton's doing right now after that Achilles comeback. I mean, he's he's killing it. Um, and then Hanson's obviously gone. Uh, Hodo's going to be back, so you can pretty much pencil in Hodo into center field unless someone just kind of comes in and throws stupid money at him. I even though he's graduated, I I'm pretty positive he's going to be back next season. Roman center field. Daly will be back in second base. Um, at shortstop, you know, if you're looking at returning roster, you look at Jack O'Dowd is probably the most likely candidate. Um, Messenger's gone, obviously. And then right field, you got DC and Ace Whitehead that'll be duking it out. The kind of question mark is EK. You know, EK went through senior day, senior day today. He did he did kind of quip to me yesterday night or last night that uh you know he still has six hours to get his diploma, but uh, I, you know I kind of wonder where he sits because he was a really strong candidate to go to the majors last year in the draft. Um, I have a feeling he's gone uh, after talking to him. So it'll obviously depend on what money they offer him. But next year, if he comes back, age starts becoming an issue. So you know it's next year's roster is going to look very very different. Um, but they got a really strong class coming in, and if if they're able to kind of hit on a couple of these guys that are 50-50 shots to go to the majors in the draft, they could have some pretty special guys coming through. So it'll be it'll be fun to see. Do you think Ryland steps on campus and is a, a catcher right yeah. away? Yeah. I think Ryland is definitely coming to Texas, um, no doubt about it. His defense is not strong enough to go to the pros and get drafted high enough to take him out of the game. If he's, he's the second-best catcher in that team. It's funny, yeah. Yeah, it'll be an interesting yeah. battle between him and Kimball next season at catcher. Ryland's got the better bat. Kimball's probably a little more polished defensively. Um, but Ryland also has been, you know, catching Blake Mitchell, who's throwing 96 from the mound. So he, he's seen some power arms, which is great. Um, and then you look at uh, probably one of my favorite guys coming in, or he's a signee. I, I'm hoping he makes it. I think he will. Jared Thomas out of Waxahachie. You know, he's a left-handed bat. He's got a special, special kind of just player. He's a leader. He's tough. Um, he's garnered some major league interest. I, I don't know that they're they, he's going to go high enough for him to go. So I think he ends up on campus. But, uh, you know, he could step in at first base day one. He's got the size, the length. It's just kind of prototypical. Um, the kid that, you know, if they were able to get him in, I think he could potentially challenge O'Dowd day one is uh, Cutter Coffee out of California. I think he's shown so much power this this last fall and this spring that he'll probably go pretty high. Um, but he's a, he's a really special kid out of California. And then, uh, you know, local San Antonio product, Jalen Flores, he could very well come in and take over that third base spot. He's a, he's a plus size guy, which Tulo loves, right? Tulo's a, he broke the mold at shortstop for being mm-hmm. a big guy. Um, but he's a guy that I think will make it to campus. He's been shooting up the draft board, but his parents kind of know the know the meaning of the Texas degree and how much money it's going to take to take him away. So they they've got some they've got some great guys coming in, and then um, you know Max Ballou out of Alito, he's an, an elite hitter. So uh, then you look at the arms, and I think next year you'll have Lucas Gordon is locked in, penciled in as a starter. Chris Stewart's a left-handed pitcher out of uh, Sanjak. You can pretty much pencil him as a starter. So then it becomes finding a number three, um, whether that's Tan- Morehouse or, you know. What about Tanner Witt? His family says all the right things. He says all the right things. But um, based on the timing of his injury, I think we're going to kind of face one of the, like a, the Connor Prelip issue with Alabama. It was It was far enough into the season that if you really – if you drag that out 12 months – you know, realistically, he would not be back in full speed until kind of mid-season. So at that point, do you love UT enough to come in and try to show the scouts that, you know, you have a half a season worth of work? Or do you just sit back and say, you know what, my body speaks for itself? Um, I think, personally, I don't think he'll play again. I think he sits back and says, you know what, draft me. But he also hasn't played a, like he hasn't started a lot of games. Like he only started a handful at UT, and so mm-hmm. scouts may look at that and say, "Okay, we really want to see you come back and what your arm looks like coming back post Tom and John." So there's there's a 50-50 chance he could very well step onto the mound next season, um, almost in a Pete Hansen role from 2021, where Pete was coming off an injury, had COVID, started off you know kind of bullpen, and then Tuesday night, and then worked his way and just you know 
made himself into the lineup. So mm-hmm. he, he's an interesting one. I don't know. And it's it's, uh, it's going to be one to follow. For sure. And then we have, uh, is it uh, Nixon sitting right outside that 300 prospect? He's like 313 is what I saw. Um, I, do you think he's gone or do you think he'll be no. back with the struggles? I, he'll, he'll be back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he has a lot to prove. And, His struggles this year, um, they're mechanical and they can be fixed. But it's more so it's it's more so Nixon, right? He gets his lower half out of sync with his upper half because he's a max effort kind of guy when in terms of like not his arm slot and arm release, but just the way he goes about playing the game. He just wants to give max effort every single time. And he's he's kind of overworking himself essentially. And it's what we saw from Tristan Stevens last season when he got in trouble early on. He was trying to add extra velo, he was trying to kind of pump it up for the, the draft and when he settled back and said, you know what, here's what I am, that's when Tristan Stevens became Stevens from 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Nixon will be back. I don't I don't think he'll go high enough to to uh, to entice him. So, yeah. uh, kind of going to about the staff, like any coaching turnover, um, pitching-wise, Sean Allen, I know he's been with Pierce for, for a while. Is there a chance that Tulo gets actually a – a head coaching job somewhere or is that or anything like that you know the interesting thing about Tulo is he doesn't want a head coaching job he loves what he does because he doesn't have to run the program and um you know when he wanted to get into the college game he wanted to get it in to help change guys lives, like these kids lives he didn't get into it to make big money or go coach you know at a major university he wanted to come in and um you know, just pass that knowledge on. He's he's a field rat too. Like he's an intensity guy. He's out there grinding. And so I, I think Tulo will be back. Um, you know, obviously it would help if uh, the NCAA would get off their their butts and get rid of this 11.7 nonsense and the third paid assistant and all that. Um, which there's stuff in work, but we'll see. Um, Allen, unless he gets hired by someone, which I kind of don't think he will this season. Um, you know, I, I think everyone will be back. I think it'll the staff will pretty much remain intact. So that's uh, just kind of curious about with Allen. I know he's they've right, they've been together for so long. I don't know if Pierce would make a move or anything like that. Or this this year's bullpen just a a, a blimp, and next year they'll be back to where we just see them at. You know, the thing about Allen is, yeah, like you said, him and Pierce have been together for a long time. They they trust each other. I think sometimes actually Pierce might get in Allen's way a little bit more than Allen gets in his way. You know, Pierce gets a little bullheaded about, I'm going to leave a guy out there and let him work through it. Whereas Allen's like, like dude, it's time. Like, we got to get this guy off the mound. Um, and Pierce is, you know, he's acknowledged that. And that's one of those things, like, you don't often see as a fan. Like, at the end of the day, it's, it's Pierce's call, ultimately, who gets to go in and out. Um and I, I think Pierce, if you if you got him into a room and into a corner, he would fully admit that a lot of the pitching issues were actually his. Um, you know, they've talked about going getting away from that pro style. And what I mean by pro style is like you have a guy who knows his routine, he's got his routine down from his pitching coaches externally and internally. And that's what he does. Like he doesn't worry about all the guys around him. He he follows his thing. And that's what you had with Ty Madden. Ty Madden was the consummate pro. That dude prepared better than anyone else. And then you have Bryce Elder follow up by that. And then you have Tristan Stevens. And these are the guys, you know, they've learned over the years that being this pro method helps them long term. But it doesn't necessarily help UT long term. And I think what Pierce and Allen have realized is that in some ways it really has hurt Texas because now you've got a guy like Josh Sawyer, who instead of his learning curve being kind of deflected downward and kind of bring back in faster, he has a really steep learning curve because he's, he's not working daily with Tristan Stevens. He's not working daily with Tanner Witt. Um, and they're, they're definitely changing that next year. I can tell you right now, they've already like said to the pitchers, look, you, you will work together. You will die together. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing how contagious the walks have been there. And, you, you know, it's like, yeah, everybody's kind of had their moments where they look good and then they come out and they don't look too good. So, yeah. But I mean, yeah, but they're you all relatively at, young too, you know. For yeah, the most part. it's there's a lot of inexperience. But uh, if you look at the guys that have been successful, Hanson, Gordon, and Harrison, 
they're lefties. And what do lefties do? They stick together. Those guys go through the workout programs together. They go through the tape together. And so um, I think you'll see that a lot more going into next season where they're bringing in some guys that can pitch. Um, there's a couple of guys, truthfully, in the signee class that are not going to make it to Texas. They're committed. They're signed. They're not going to make it. Allen needs guys that can come in and throw strikes tomorrow. And that's what he's doing. He's looking for guys right now. So, um yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see what the makeup of the the pin looks like. I think it's going to be actually fairly strong. Maybe the pitching. I think it kind of reverts next year back to pitching as the strength and hitting yeah. might, might be the perceived weakness. So um, go back to some of that Augie ball. You know, manufacturing runs and sacrifice bunts. You're going to have runs, to speed like on the that, team. Yeah. So yeah, you got Ace Whitehead, you got DC, you got guys that can run. Um, and so you're going to see a lot more bunts. You're going to see a lot more bases being stolen. Um, and all that stuff they've gone away from because they haven't needed. They've they've hit the long ball. So, yeah. so um, so the future is definitely looking bright. Out of those guys you talked about earlier in the recruiting class, who are you most excited about getting on campus? So Rylan is definitely one. Had a sent in. You know he's coached by Adrian Alanese, who I know y'all had on earlier in the uh, another podcast. Um, He's a guy that I think within a year or two of like a professional style hitting and in, in, in a coaching environment with Tulo and working with Coach Miller as a defensive catcher, like he's he's like the next great catcher to come through the program because um, he's more advanced hitting than Silas was. Uh, and so he he's going to be special, man. I think he's got future major draft league all over him. Um, Jalen Flores, again, another guy that I'm really excited about out of Brandeis. He's He's makes when you look at him, you don't think, man, he like looks he's not doing anything fast, but he's really smooth. Um, he, he reminds me of a Hamilton or a Faltini where everything just kind of looks easy to him. Like he kind of looks like he's gliding around. And that's what you want at a shortstop at Texas. You want them to glide. You don't want them to have to like burst and speed and all that. So he's a guy that I think within two years, you know, he can he can make a big hole because he's actually a hitter. Um, you know, his glove has kind of trailed his hitting. And so that'll be interesting to watch. There may be some growth spurts and gross pains, but, you know, there was with Hamilton and Faltini as well. Faltini came in as a pitcher. So you just kind of take what you got. Um, that guy's he's MLB class for a shortstop, man. He's one of the best we've ever had there. He's he makes yeah. the, the really hard stuff make look really, really, really easy. Yeah. Um, I mentioned him already, but Jared Thomas, he's a guy that I really, really like. Um, you know, from the left side, he's just, he's, he's a leader. He's a player. He's that, that step first guy that Allen likes. Um, one of the guys that's kind of fallen, like not fallen, but like kind of flown under the radar is Brenner Cox. He's an outfielder. You think about all the lengthy, like tall, lanky guys that have good twitch. Brenner Cox is one of those kids. I think he's probably one of the next great center fielders for Texas. Um, and then, uh, uh, who's the other kid? Oh, Max Grubbs. So Grubbs is a kid. He's a pitcher, right-hander. You know, everyone wants like that mentality and that attitude, you, that bulldog. Um, he's the kid that's going to bring that mentality and the attitude. He doesn't care who he's playing against. He's got an electric arm, and he's going to go and he's going to attack. Um, so I think he'll be a great addition to that bullpen. Yeah, so for all of our listeners that want to go get a, like an in-depth breakdown of all this, you just did your modcast with uh, – Dustin, right? Yeah, on Dustin YouTube. Agreed. So yeah, y'all, y'all definitely uh, go to YouTube and check that out if you're looking for some more in-depth uh, look at the guys coming in. But is uh, is baseball recruiting harder than other sports? Just because you know there's so many good players out there, there's so much baseball being played, and there's so many immeasurables that baseball, you know, needs and and values. Baseball recruiting is really unique. Um, as you mentioned, like even though there's only 30 guys or 35 guys on a roster at any given time on like football, there's so many players. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then you have to break it down because unlike football, you don't have multiple, like uh, if you have a football kid, like you go high school and you watch them in high school or maybe seven on seven during the summers, right? In baseball, you're watching these kids play fall ball. You're watching them play, you know, travel and select ball. You're watching them play high school. You're watching them go to camps. Like, it's almost impossible to track the number of players because there's so many of them. Um, and the, you, don't, you don't have these rankings. Like, you don't have the money and the, and the investment of the services like you normally would see. 
um, from the, like a, the football side of the house. And then the other thing that makes it difficult is then you have organizations, and I won't name any names, but like there's certain orgs and organizations out there that like if you want to be highly ranked, your dad or your mom goes throw down some cash, and you're you know the number one prospect at your position, and um, that's unfortunately very prevalent throughout the high school baseball recruiting. Um, and so it's, you know, you look at Texas, Texas is a hotbed of recruiting, um, but Texas also goes out to places like California. California is a hotbed. Kids want to get out of that, you know, going out of state for California kids is not an issue because the out of state tuition is the same as their in-state tuition. And so that's why you've seen Texas be really successful out there. Plus you got the too low factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, re- recruiting for Texas or in, uh, in college baseball is just really tough. And then you factor in JUCO, and you got kids that they develop differently. Um, you know, one of the kids that Texas has signed, and he's unfortunately probably going to go JUCO, Matt Porches. He was the number one prospect in his age class. Um, you know, coming through, everyone was trying to get him on locked up and signed up, and he he committed to Texas. He really likes Texas. He just hasn't developed. You know, his fastball hasn't really gone through. His slider really hasn't made much progress. M- m- maturity wise like his body hasn't matured the way you would expect him to mature and so you know now he's a kid that went from being number one to he'll go juco and there's nothing wrong with juco murphy staley came from juco ivan melinda's came from juco some guys just need that extra year of growth and maturity and playing every single day and tristan was a juco community college guy too yeah absolutely um so it you know baseball recruiting is tough because everyone develops differently and from one year, you might not be able to hit. You go to JUCO, and all of a sudden, you you learn to hit, and now you're the hottest prospect in the nation. So it's highly competitive. It's a, it's a different breed of kids in JUCO. So you definitely those guys are dogs. Grind. That's yeah. the way. It's easiest way to describe it is when you go to JUCO, you don't have anything fancy, you don't have anything flashy, but you damn well better be able to play, and you better be able to grind because you're gonna learn how to play some baseball. <laughs> yeah, two San Jack guys commit, right? Or yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got Chris Stewart, the left-handed pitcher, and then we got uh, – well, he's technically a walk-on, but uh, DJ Burke is the newest guy. He's a right-hander. He throws hard. Um, he's got a solid curveball. Um, but, he, you know, he's a guy that helps bolster the back end of that bullpen. You get bring in a guy that knows how to throw strikes, has been ultra-competitive, and has been on a winning program. Hard to say no to those guys. And then we got a guy from McLennan County that, uh, you know, Skip Johnson's son is a coach there in – He's got a heck of a program, and, um, you know, he was originally, Wyatt Cheney was uh, originally committed to Oklahoma State, went there for a year, wasn't feeling it, went to McLennan, has been ultra successful there, and so now they got a really good right-hander that, you know, he could be a starter, he might be Tuesday night guy, so, yeah, it's JUCO's, there's a lot of talent in JUCO, you know, as much as it fun is, like, make fun of JUCO bandits, those guys, they can play. <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you explain our since we're talking about recruits right now, explain to our listeners the uh, the eleven point seven scholarships that Texas get and you know why other schools get more and is NIL kind of changing any of that with you know kind of helping funding kids playing for Texas? Yeah, so every school technically uh, every school gets eleven point seven scholarships for baseball regardless of who they are. Um, so they all have the same number. The difference becomes when you're a public versus a private school. So private institutions have a way of using academic scholarships to help bolster these kids money that they're able to give them and so you look at a vanderbilt or tcu and as much as it is like people like to poke at them they're they're working within the lines but what they're doing is they're getting kids that are good kids have good grades and they're saying look we'll give you 25 percent baseball scholarship but we're going to give you 30 percent academic scholarship well now you know you've got 55% scholarship, like that's huge because now they can uh, allocate more money to another player. But the way it works in baseball is instead of a full scholarship, um, you you have to have at least a 25% scholarship for every player unless they're a walk-on and you only get 11.7. So you have to spread 11.7 scholarships out over say 30 guys. And it's, it's archaic, it's dumb. Um, you know, they originally put it in place because a lot of these programs, a lot of college baseball programs don't make money. They go into the season knowing they're going to lose tens of thousands of dollars. But there's so much money that are coming in through the universities and through football and everything else that 
they they've got to get rid of it. It's 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 time. Um, and so you you have these private institutions, like I said, that they, they're able to utilize those academic scholarships to kind of bolster and get kids in that normally they would not be able to get in or afford. So for me, um, the ES, like ESPN could easily make the eleven point seven go away because you know how on Sundays you get the red zone. If they they did that Friday through Sunday, and you just because they do it during the tournament, and the tournament yeah. they have called bases loaded. Yeah, round bases. Yeah. Yeah, and so like when Texas in the play, I'll switch that on just to watch all the games. If they just did that during the regular season, you can easily make all your money back. You can make your money there because I want to watch all these other games, but I'm not also going to go and get like. Well, first we gotta get out. Of, you gotta get out of the Longhorn Network. You see through the app. That's how I have to get to it. And then go find another thing through the ESPN Plus app. Yeah. So, but, like, if they just had a different show that showed you all the games and stuff, like, I think that would be, would help college baseball a lot. ESPN's doing a little bit better this year, but I think they could do a lot more to help most of the uh, Yeah. They can can do a lot more. And then, you know, ultimately the universities can do a lot more. A lot of the infrastructure is not there at these smaller schools, which is what ESPN runs into the issues. Like, they don't have the cameras. They don't have the infrastructure needed by the school to actually broadcast. And so that's where the you know, the universities have to step in fun because we've seen it across the nation. You know, everyone's breaking attendance records. Everyone's breaking, um, you know, all these records about who's coming to the, the ballpark. And it's, it's kind of been a revolution for um, college baseball where everyone's getting back into it. And obviously it helped when the majors, they had their, their lockout and everything, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I really hope they get rid of the, the archaic 11.7, and I hope they get rid of the restrictions on only two paid head coaches, because most people don't realize, but you can only have three paid coaches. So Pierce, Allen, and Miller are paid by the university. Tulo's technically an unpaid assistant. Now, he gets like a 15000 a year stipend, and he can make money from camps, and, you know, there's other ways for him to make money from the university, but he's officially not – he's a he's an assistant volunteer coach. Um which is just nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you were asking about the NIL stuff. You know, I know y'all had uh, Occupy Left Field, Pinyon. Mm-hmm. There, there are programs. Um, I would say that various programs are a lot better off than others. You know, when you're out of Texas, yeah, you're going to have Occupy Left Field Foundation. You're going to have just the ability to kind of use that name and image because we have the Longhorn Network or we because we get promoted so much more. Some schools aren't going to be able to do that. So I, I think it's another in, institution where you know, the rich get richer. We really like there's just not a lot of money in donorship to, to baseball no. yet. But it's still very early on for baseball and NIL. Like if you look at what they're doing, there's a lot of things they can do. And I think they'll eventually get there. At the end of the day, a lot of it, though, is college baseball has to keep somewhat in sync with the majors because the majors try to be in sync with college baseball to a degree where you know they're they're capping their funding so you know if you go over slot well then now your lower draft picks get less money or you go under slot well now your lower draft picks you have a lot more money to spend but with the dissolution of some of the minor league teams it's almost an incentive to go to college like go to college work on your game and then there is a better chance that you're going to get paid at the end of the day like a guy like carlos Contreras from sam houston state that dude's making some money. Like the guy can hit, and he's gonna get drafted. So um, yeah, you get to stay at Texas and travel with you know nice planes and buses, but rather than go to you know single A ball somewhere and you know slump. yeah. Most people don't realize how shitty single A ball is. Like you're on a bus 24/7. You you know you're buying from and eating from the vending machine. You're you're daily stipend. Like you're not making any money. So yeah, it's it's a world of difference. Um, so are, are you excited for the move to the SEC? I, I am from a college baseball standpoint, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, the, the Big 12, like, unlike football, the Big 12 has is, is always been, like, the number one or number two conference in the nation in baseball. Mm-hmm. You got TCU, Oklahoma, Tech, Texas. Um, over the years, you had programs like Missouri or Nebraska. You know, they were strong programs, even A&M. Uh, but when you start thinking about Mississippi State at night, LSU, Ole Miss, A&M, Bama, even Auburn. Then you get into the East. You got Tennessee, Florida, uh, Vanderbilt. Like there's 
it's just you're never going to have a bad week in a baseball in the SEC. Yeah. There's no Kansas rolling into town that you're like, oh, yeah, like, we're probably going to sweep these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not going to happen. I mean, it's going to be a dogfight. But, you know, you want to be the best, you play the best. And, uh, you know, that SEC has long been my favorite baseball conference just from a, a pure fan standpoint. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to see them go there. Yeah, and yeah, I, they're rowdy, man. You watch those games, and it's crazy. Yeah. You know, you know, Fayetteville, they're insane. And a lot of those states don't have any kind of pro teams or anything. So exactly, that's yeah. The, you, know, you look at Baum Stadium and for Arkansas, like you just mentioned, you know, they'll they'll pack in ten, twelve thousand fans because they don't have a pro team, they don't have a minor league team. Arkansas baseball is in the spring. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Ole Miss, Mississippi State. You know, even A and M, LSU. Like, I've had a lot of fun trips to the box down at LSU. Like, that's it's a terrible stadium. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it needs it's so outdated. But you know, I love their fans, so it's it'll be a lot of fun. So, um, do you have a favorite player slash team uh, since you've been following Texas and covering Texas? Just I know it's kind of hard to pick, but maybe kind of <laughs> some that stick out, um, you know, more than the rest to you. And we'll let you pick a couple if you want to. Yeah. So I, I, I was thinking about this um, as a favorite team. Uh, probably 2010, I think, was a, a good year. Um, that was a really special group of guys. Now, the year didn't end how we wanted to, obviously. Like, we got beat by TCU in the Supers at Texas. That was kind of the – really, that was the genesis of the TCU program, if you think about it from a Big 12 standpoint. Yeah. Like, they went to the College World Series for the first time that year. That really kicked them off. Um, but that, that 2010 team was special. Like, they had lost in 2009 to LSU in the finals. They came back, and they had that mentality of, we don't, we don't care. We are going to beat you up. We are going to do whatever it takes to win. And that's what they did until the very end. And they just happened to run up against a, a TCU team that was super hot. Um, obviously, it was always fun watching the 2002, 2005 teams, which weren't necessarily the most talented teams, but they got it done. Um, favorite player? Uh, one of my favorites, I'm a, and a, this is a little bit biased because I'm a Lake Travis kid, but Chance Ruffin, that dude was just, he didn't care whether he was a starter or if he was a bullpen guy, like he was going to go out there and he was going to battle you and he was going to beat you. And it didn't, it didn't matter who you were, or what you were doing. He was, he was coming after you. Uh, he was always fun to watch, you know, obviously growing up and watching him like Houston street, Jay Brent, uh, those guys were special. Adrian Alanese, his no hitter against OU was just a special game. Um, but out of the, all those guys, like one of the guys I always looked up to was Drew Stubbs. He was a quiet kid, you know, from Atlanta, Texas, didn't say a lot, but he, he grinded and he was just a special monster out in center field. He, he could hit, he could run, just all around player. He was a lot of fun to watch. So, yeah, those are, those are some of my favorites for sure. They, they made him really good on the uh, NCAA baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was like a 99 on there. <laughs> he was so good. Yeah, you can find like on YouTube on like they they'll I don't know if they update it or what and make it themselves, but they'll run like simulated games of games going on now and stuff. So I'll be at work sometimes and I'll just run across like oh Texas or Vanderbilt, let's see who's gonna win. So I actually still have a a PlayStation I guess it's PlayStation Two or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and I still have 06 and 07. So Long Beach was on 07's cover and then Texas was on the my rule was on the 06 cover. So I still have those games, man. I, yeah, those. Yeah, they're fun. pricey on on eBay, man. You try to go oh, buy sure. those games. Yeah. <laughs> and they're bringing it back too, man. So, uh, you know. Can't wait. That's awesome. So, uh, so what's the, what fan base is the worst to talk to, talk baseball with on Twitter? Ooh, there's some special ones out there. Um, it has to be Aggie, right? You know, honestly, yeah. I, I would say <laughs> at A&M's probably the worst. And the thing about it is, like, they're actually – the problem with A&M is they haven't really been ever good at baseball. Like, they've been solid, right? But, like, Texas won more College World Series games last year than A&M has all time. Yeah. And so they kind of come from this place of they they want to be better than you. They're just not. And so it kind of puts these blinders on. Like, you can't have a real conversation with them. Um, I've had and then some, they beat us on Tuesdays all the time. It's just... Yeah, yeah. Um, I've had some pretty interesting conversations with some tech fans. Um, and it's probably a little more heated this year just because of the whole beard and, you know, all that yeah. fun stuff. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I, you know, 
there's not most unlike college football most baseball fans pretty much will just want to see a good game like they're really good people like if you you could go out and have a beer with them and then they're going to be really good um yeah probably a&m and tech are probably the two the two toughest so i think in person you're definitely right you know most people don't talk like they do on twitter in real life (laughs) but i i would probably have to say arkansas it's it, every time I look at something and it's just, you know, Arkansas, 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 those guys yeah. and they hate Texas. So yeah. it's going to be interesting if that's where we get put in that regional, man. It's, you know, there's a true hatred over there for, for Texas. Yeah. Our Arkansas and Vol- uh, Tennessee both like to chirp. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting because there's good chirp, like the TCU folks for the most part, like TCU, they like to chirp as well. But like they're respectful, like the Lufton Beer Club, uh, Beer Club, like shout out to those guys, they're awesome. Um, but yeah, Arkansas and Tennessee, they do, they have some chirpers for sure. So, um, I just, I, I, well, one, I don't understand why uh, Tennessee's chirping. So I know they're the number one team, but they still haven't beat us the past few times they played us. So, it, it's whole- honestly mentality. It's Maserati Tony, man. But Vitello, he's a you love him or you hate him. Like if he was, if he's your head coach, you love that guy. You will die for that guy on the hill. If he's not your head coach, he's annoying. He's abrasive. He, you know, he's just he doesn't get thrown out in the first inning for a bump around the old school. Like you're a manager. You're there to be like a respectful figure, <laughs> right? Yeah, bumping umpires in the first inning, getting tossed earlier this season. Yeah, for sure. So with um, you know. It, this year, you know, Omaha is pretty much a standard for us. But what? How do you see this year ending? Do you see us in Omaha? Is is it regionals? Maybe, hopefully, in a super or something. You know, this one's it's tough to measure right now. Um, not having a true number three starter, not having a closer, really puts a cap on what this team can do. Um, they have the talent to make it to Omaha. Absolutely. They have the grit. They have the versatility. They have the hitting. Um, they even have the starting pitcher to them for the most part. Um, I think a lot of it depends on what regional they get paired in. Like if they go to Arkansas, as good as Arkansas is, Arkansas has a hard time hitting this year. I think they can beat Arkansas. If they go to A&M, that's another story. Like A&M can pitch and they can hit and they're super hot. And so... If, if Texas was hosting a regional, I think they can make it to, I think they can make it at a minimum to supers. In in a supers, I think they could probably win supers because you got Hanson, you got P, uh, uh, Lucas. But without them hosting, I'd say probably a super regional is the farthest they could go this season. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that you know it, a three man rotation is. Uh... It's a blessing. It's not something that every team has. You know, there's yeah. usually a drop off somewhere there, and you usually mm-hmm. see it on the Sundays. And you know, we're just have been lucky to have you know the Ty Badden, Tristan Stevens, Pete Hansen, you know Tanner Witt now. And it's yeah. uh, I I think if our we can stay okay and not have to use a ton of bullpen arms and set ourselves up, you know, for a couple of committee pitched games, yeah, I think we'll be okay. But I guarantee you, no one whoever's hosting, I don't care who they are. I don't want to see Texas as a two seed come into there. No, for sure not. And the trick in the regional is going to be, they have to win game one. Yeah. If they don't win game one, they're, they're getting bounced in a regional because they don't have the pitching depth to come back from that. And so if they can win game one, that sets them up to give at least a 50, 50 shot at that point. Uh, If they win game two in the regional, they'll probably get through, but it's, it's going to be tough for them because, like I said, they don't have that third guy that they can really – I mean, Zane Morehouse is pretty much the third guy right now. They definitely don't have a fourth guy they can roll out. Maybe Luke Harrison. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, so do you go Gordon first game, save Pete for the one seed? Yeah, you yeah. have to. I know – I don't know. I, you know, Pierce is more of a traditionalist. He really doesn't like to do that, in my opinion, for this – for these type of matchups as we get into regional, and I kind of talked to him about it tonight, you know, you're going to have to alter your strategy some. And he, he acknowledged that, yeah, that, you know, they're going to have to look at moving things around when they get into the regional format. Yeah, especially that. I'm sorry. I was say, do you think Tristan comes back, like, if we need him as a fourth? No. Or do you think he's going to be in bullpens trying to save long release and stuff like that? 
he's going to be the bullpen guy. He's going to guy that he's going to be the fireman. He's going to come in and try to get them out of an issue like he has, you know, on Thursday and and, and Saturday. Um, they can certainly move him to that fourth role. I don't think they would, because um, just I think he'll be he'll be needed too much in the first two games or even that third game. Um, he'll be needed to to kind of shore up that back end. So no, I don't I don't think he ends up being starting any more games this season. Uh, I was kind of hopeful that once we got to regional play or super regional play, that our offense was going to be good enough to be defensive until we, until, you know, Oklahoma state came home and we came over here and, you know, <laughs> erased a seven run lead in in one inning. And yeah, I was uh, super nervous, but I, I, I don't know, hopefully, you know, we'll keep waiting for it to click, right. To click, to click, to click, to come together. And, you know, but it's just fingers crossed. And, you know, yeah, I, I really I like Aaron Johnson. To some extent, I think you're starting to see it pieced together right like jared southern has his moments but he's looked really strong the last couple outings luke harrison has continued to look really strong um you know stevens has his pitches everyone saw that cutter just the feel for his cutter is not right i don't know what what has changed or what's going on but without that cutter his slider becomes a lot more hittable because those two pitches coming out of his hand look very very similar Right. And they're about the same speed. It's about two to three mile down difference. Um, but it was interesting tonight. I, I sit I happen to sit right next to the baseball analytics team who I absolutely love. They're they're the nerds. They the self-acknowledged nerds and we love it. Um, but Tristan, from an analytics perspective, threw his absolute best cutter tonight or on, you know, I guess whenever this comes out on, on Saturday night against Kansas. It had elite spin. It had elite bite. Um if Tristan can continue to to kind of power through and kind of work through his command issues, I think, you know, back in, he becomes really dangerous. He becomes what Witt was last year to the bullpen. Um, and he's not new to the bullpen either, right? He started off as a reliever. Started off as a bullpen guy. I, he loves that mentality. And the other th- interesting thing about Stevens is, and I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but as a starter, his velo sits around 90, 91 on his fastball. He was touching 94 on Thursday, he's right? He's touching 94, 95 as a, as a reliever because he can go all out because he knows that he's, you know, he doesn't have to go all game. So um, that makes him that much more dangerous because now you've got a 94-mile-an-hour fastball coupled with an 85 cutter coupled with an 83- to 82-mile slider. That becomes a really dangerous combination of pitches that can get you some outs. Yeah, and starting Saturday at the dish is a very uh, – it's hot. It's, you know, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. You got to kind of, you know, pace yourself. And when he went out there Thursday with the bases loaded situation, he just looked like he kind of had a different swagger to him out there. And he, I've yeah. never really seen that. He's always kind of an even keel guy. Even when he's in trouble, you know, he, he doesn't really show a lot of emotion. And he – I don't want to say he was very emotional, but he just had a different sense to him on the mound. And he went out there and he got the two Ks and got us out of that bind. And He, he looked the best he had since the LSU game. Like the LSU is kind of his benchmark for this yeah. season. Um, he looked the best he had since since that game down in Houston, for sure. Yeah. Um, so one question before we move on into our uh, light to tire uh, questions. What's the to, today's game, Saturday game against Kansas, the weirdest game you've seen? um i don't know if it's the weirdest but it certainly had the most ridiculous things going on at at any given time right you know i've never seen an umpire remove himself from a game and say i could not see the baseball like that should never happen like that it was obvious from the very get-go not the very get-go it was obvious from probably two innings prior to that that something was going on because he was he was calling balls that were or he was calling technically there were strikes but he was calling pitches, balls, and strikes that were a foot off the plate. I mean, just way out there. And kind of where, you know, Wolf has a good reputation. And, you know, like I said, I sit next to the, the analytics team, and they judge. They, they keep a scorecard. Like, they're they're tracking how well they're doing. And he was, like, call them way off and then call them way in and then way in. So, like, just all over the place. You could tell something wasn't calibrated right. Um and yeah, when they announced that the Longhorn Network production truck just caught on fire, <laughs> it was like, well, maybe the Longhorn curse, the Longhorn Network curse is over. I don't know. Um, but yeah, just funkiness. Uh, you know, Skyler coming up and hitting a grand slam against his former team. 
Trey Faltini, you know, he's always a fired up guy. Like he, he's not the guy that you want to peg with the ball. He hates it. He, he, yeah. he hates it. He absolutely hates it. And he's the emotional leader of this team. So you fire him up, you just piss off 25 different guys in the dugout. Right. Um, and then, you know, he, he does his little stare down. He might have a word or two with the pitcher when he gets hit, but um, the Kansas pitcher, you know, mouthing off and chirping at him, dude, wrong, wrong guy to be chirping with. Cause you got, you got Skyler coming out. You got Tristan coming out. Um, you know, everyone was wanting a piece of those guys. And then Upshaw, you know, I don't know what his beef is with Skyler. You know, pissed off at them in the in the moment that he transferred to Texas or whatever else. But like going trying to go after Skyler, which they I don't know that they showed on TV. <laughs> like he's not a guy you mess with. Like he's he's a big kid. He's he's well built. And so yeah, that was one of the things you don't do with this Texas team is piss him off. Because you know that they're going to come out swinging. Um, the way to beat this Texas team is come out and just handle your business and be absolutely silent and don't say a word. Uh, and that's not what Kansas decided they wanted to do after they hit Caltini. So. Yeah. I, I was going to say, like, um, after after the ump got removed, um, the Kansas pitcher wasn't the same. Like, it should have been, like, three straight walks, but – well, he sat for so long. Most yeah. people don't realize he was he sat on the bench for 40 minutes because the pitcher or the catcher had to change, and then it was just you know a whole ordeal. So, and it had been a long inning already, and so yeah, he wasn't the same afterwards. I know on TV they showed they they made it seem like it was him and uh, Upshaw and Souther were kind of talking back and forth because Souther was like fired up for getting the K, yeah. and then he just like the was like get to the dugout, and he just sprinted to the dugout, and then all of a sudden. <laughs> Upshaw is just there getting held back. I'm like, oh, what do we miss? Yeah, and so like, what they didn't show on TV after that was that Upshaw then like started mouthing and going after Skyler. It was it was really weird. Like, yeah, I <laughs> so there, you know, he's a fiery guy anyways. Um, again, another one of those emotional guys. <laughs> Seeing him kind of you know do his dance coming off the mound, and then the umpires even raising a finger and you know. Southern was like, oh, got to go. And just, I mean, he's sprinting to the, <laughs> to the dugout. It's great. Well, that's uh, that's all our main questions we got for you. Uh, we have a video of segment called Light the Tower. It's pretty much, um, the, uh, I'll say a statement, and if you agree with the Light the Tower, if not, you can tell us why we're wrong and what you, what your opinion is. Um, I wanna, I'm going to let you go first, James, and then I'll finish up with mine. I got one for you. So you've been to a lot of Texas baseball games and, you know, in person, you get to hear the walk up songs and all that. And the TV is kind of faint in the background. We know we know this year Ivan gets all the ovation. Right. With the with his song. Uh, Yeah. So like the tower, uh, the Hispanic Titanic walk up song is the best you've heard. Like the tower. His is I mean, for who he is, like the moment. Yeah, his his is pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to have to go with that, but I think my favorite for this team this year is Eric Kennedy's The Summer Love by Justin Timberlake, just because it's, it's so different. And it's so weird. Yeah, and Austin Todd's, you know, Fishing in the Dark, man. I've never, I don't know a guy. For him, he's a big fishing guy. I'll tell you the worst one is uh, probably Silas. Like, I give I give Silas a hard time about his walk-up <laughs> song every time. What, what yeah, is this? It's, it's way uh, too sexy, right? Yeah. Way too sexy by Future and Drake. Yep. Yeah. I, I just like hearing uh, Linda's, and then all of a sudden, uh, once he's done, you have California Girls come up with Staley. So St- Staley's cracks me up. So I don't know if y'all remember, but um, if you uh, – oh, gosh, who was it? Um, he played center field. But his was uh, a couple years ago. So his like, If You Like Pina Coladas was his walk-up song. And then this yeah, year's is the, is the <laughs> California Girls by Katy Perry. And I was like, what in the world? <laughs> so it's – yeah, it, it brings a smile. All right, so some a couple of questions I have. Um, college baseball is better than the pros. Oh, like the tower for sure, by far. That's why I I can sit there and watch a whole college game. I think a little bit the pace is a little quicker. It seems it's a little quicker than the pros is. There's not enough. There's not a lot of commercial breaks, especially on the Longhorn Network. It's like <clears> one or two, and then you're back into the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I honestly don't watch much call, uh, uh, major league baseball, which most people are like, "What in the world?" Like, college baseball is your favorite. How are you not watching the majors? Like, I'll follow certain players. Um, I'm an Astros fan, but for me, it's the, the intensity and the effort. Like, 
you get a guy like EK. He's hitting 200. He's in a major slump. You know what? He doesn't care. He's going to go up there. He's going to hit for a bunch single, and he's going to bust his ass down the line. That is college baseball. In the pros, they'd be like, nope, I'm just going to keep hitting 200, and they'll send me down the line if you don't like me. (laughs) And I feel like in in college, they've all chosen to be there to to represent this university and stuff. So it gives it, you know, a little bit different feel. But, yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I follow – MLB baseball through the app you know I don't really I don't think my girlfriend would let me pick up another a sport or, or team to watch every single game but I think we've been dating for like two years and I told her like, yeah I love Texas sports you know and it's I don't think it registered to her that it's every single pitch every single game you know every football game basketball you know I keep up with it every game but I'm bad luck so I have to I'm usually banned to watching it from my from my app but yeah definitely like the tower there so the next, so the next one I have is uh, bat flips and pitchers being hyped like Southern Africans are good for baseball. I'm I'm mixed on this. Um, this might be an unpopular opinion, but Ivan Melendez's bat flip during the South Carolina series was probably the most disrespectful bat flip I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's like some of those antics are. I'll say like the tower just because it's it's good for college baseball. Like it brings more attention. It brings viewers, and they're like, oh, you know, this is exciting. It's not a three-hour baseball game that I got to kind of drudge through. Um, so yeah, when you get that intensity, I think it makes the game more interesting. Just because I like I like the fire. I like the, you know what? Come and get it. Like if you want to if you want to shut that guy up, you go hit a home run off in the next inning. You know, it's just it's fun. I think there's a difference between being disrespectful and emotions, <laughs> right? Like my yeah. favorite Ivan one was the Mississippi State it, rain dropping down. You know, he hit it, he did the backflip, but I don't think he was trying. It was just a very emotional thing. I've never seen him that fired up around the bases either. No. Like he, he, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely gonna and like even the, after the South Carolina series, I can tell you right now. Like I talked to Ivan, and he was like, I shouldn't have done that. He was like, I because most people don't know, but he actually went to the head coach in the locker room. And apologize to him afterwards. Like, like I said, Ivan's a good dude. I mean, at his heart, he's just an outstanding young man. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's it's fun. Um, there's teams like Tennessee that I, I I don't like the antics of like, you know, wearing the fur coat and all that. You know, that's that's a bit much. But um, you know, it's fun. So. What do you think of the helmet? I think the the helmet's funny because it's 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 a prop, but it's not too over the top. You know, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State's another one. I like the cowboy hat. Like that's that's legit. Yeah. That's a that's a celebration. But like putting on a big chain, putting on a coat, like that that's too far. That that's reached the line for me. So real <laughs> I, quick, what is what is the reach over the dugout thing that Oklahoma State was doing? Did you catch that at the series? I was there and like whenever the guys were batting, the guys in the dugout were like leaning over and touching the ground and saying something. I don't, was there anything to that? I don't know. Yeah. So um, a lot of teams have kind of these traditions where if they have two guys on and no outs, or they have the bases loaded or they have two outs, um, they have little traditions where like they'll, they'll flip their hats and it's usually a team to team year to year kind of thing. Um, You know, like Texas, they hit a double and they'll do like the little, bird move or whatever at second base or i don't know if you've ever noticed but at when they're standing on the at home plate and they're in the batter's box if they get two strikes you'll see them wipe their chest that's just to signify to the dugout like look i've cleaned my i'm clean like two strikes i got it you know got to shorten up got to work it off work through it um but yeah that's just one of the, the kind of team quirks that oklahoma has that their guys like to do so okay yeah I, was, I noticed it i couldn't really figure out what it was so i'm like yeah you're there all the time maybe you know <laughs> so the last one I have uh, kind of stems from Tennessee, but college baseball college baseball should stick to the bats they have or move to wood. Because I know Tennessee Tennessee played a game in a midweek midweek game with wooden bats. I just I don't know what that they lost too. Yeah, yeah, they lost. yeah they, they lost to Tennessee Tech. Um, you know the thing about the B, I I really hated BB core bats when they came out, and then. You know, over the last couple of years, I really like BB core bats because it's not gorilla ball. Like it, it forces you to learn how to hit. The argument that the schools are going to make is that the wooden bats cost too much, um, which to some extent is true because like your most college baseball teams, like I said, are already losing money. They're not money generators, and so I don't think they'll ever go to wooden bats. 
um, unless there's some kind of sponsorship and or promotion with majors to like provide them the wooden bats. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I currently, I think I'd say, no, I don't think they should go to wooden bats because I like the, the uniqueness for college of hitting with those BB core aluminum bats, the, the sound that it makes. So mm-hmm. that may be an unpopular opinion again, but I, you know, grew uh, up with I, the, the ping and I want to hear the ping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I enjoy the ping noise. Um, to me, the wooden bats is just, that's, that's a pro thing, leaving the pros. Uh, yeah. But college people got, have that sound. If you want to see them hit with, uh, Wooden bats go watch Cape Cod, right? Like, well, and yeah, and the thing is, like those BB core bats, the way that they're designed, because you can unscrew the entire center of it. It's just the core. That's literally what it's why it's called BB core. And they 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 can tamp down those bats so that they hit just like a wooden bat would. Um, but yeah, if you want to see wooden bats, Cape Cod league, minor leagues, like it, that's the next step to the pros. You shouldn't be hitting with wooden bats at in college because those guys are still learning how to hit. Um, and the argument that they make about, well, it gets them further to the major league. Like, 1% of all college guys are going to go to the majors. So, let them have fun. Let them hit. Like, it's got to be more exciting. Well, so, I think that's all the questions we have. Uh, we pr- really appreciate your time. you have anything else for him, James? Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you, you know, what they can listen to, what they expect from you. Do you have anything coming up? Yeah, so you can find me on Orange Bloods. Um, I'm on Twitter at Zach at the Dish. Uh, every so every week, well during the regular season, I'll I put out um, you know week and series previews on uh, every Wednesday, typically or Thursday. I come out with a rat- podcast called Around the Horns on YouTube with my co-host Aaron Little. Uh, during the during every game, you see me doing play-by-play on Orange Bloods, and uh, as we get into Big 12 tournament, I'll be there live streaming and you know, holding, uh, doing probably some Insta, uh, Twitter lives from the team and yeah, just putting out previews and game recaps. So check me out. You're a Twitter guy, no Instagram. Uh, I have an Instagram. I'm trying to think of what it, I think it's just, uh, my name. Let's see. I haven't been on Instagram as much lately, to be honest. <laughs> see. But Instagram, I'm just, uh, where is Sim? So it's, uh, my last name is S Y M M. Yeah, well, Mostly on Instagram, you're gonna see a lot of fishing photos. To be honest, I spend a lot of time fishing when it's not baseball season. So, <laughs> what do you like? What do you like going to? Do you fish? You know, saltwater, freshwater. What do you do? Yeah, saltwater. I grew up fishing in Rockport, Port O'Connor area, Sea Drift. Um, got a couple of guides that I'm really good friends with. We go out at Marker 37. We'll hit up Baffin, Mansfield. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm from Victoria, so it's you know right up the road from us over here. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I've worked in unit, you know, fishing industry for a long time. So we know a lot of the same people and stuff. So, yep. but yeah, man, thank you for coming on. You know, you're a busy guy, man. You're, you know, one of the best in the industry. Thank you for what you do for college baseball and the exposure, you know, you do for that. You're great at what you do. Uh, we appreciate it, man. And hopefully we look forward to having you on again one day. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate y'all having me. It was great talking, uh, you know, Texas baseball with y'all and UT sports in general. I look forward to uh, being back on again soon. Yep. Thanks, man.